Amen. Uh, tonight, open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and the 11th chapter. Now, for those of you who've been in church for some length of time, uh, you're going to recognize this chapter as being the hall of faith, is the term I've used a lot. And um, I love this passage of scripture. Uh, I've thought about it a lot of times. I, I'm sure I've taken text out of it at different, at different times. But um, tonight and, and uh, over the next few times that I preach, I want to I preach uh, some things that, that I had never really seen that God has really begun to, to show me. And I, how many love that when you read something? Dad said that today. You read something and you see something new. And I saw some things that I hadn't really seen before. I really just want to focus kind of what they would call exegesis, which is to take the scripture line by line and examine it in order. I, I just want to kind of flow through it in that way because I, I saw something that I really hadn't, um, maybe hadn't recognized before and, um, and it encouraged me. So I want to talk to you about the phases of faith, the phases of faith. This is what, I've, what I saw, and so I'm not going to cover it all tonight, don't have time to do that, and so I don't know how pretty, pretty broken up it will be, but um, we'll, we'll give you what the Lord says, and um, I'm thankful for the word of the Lord tonight, amen? amen. So we want to read from verse uh, 3, or verse 1, starting at verse 111, 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. Lord, we ask you, God, I pray that your spirit, God, would anoint me, God, that I would be able to deliver what you have placed in my heart. I feel strongly, Lord, that this is something that you want to speak to this body. God, and I'm thankful that you have gathered us. I'm thankful that every person is here because I believe that this is the core, and God, you want to do something with this core. And so we pray that your will be done in our midst. God, we pray that your kingdom come in Anderson, California. We pray that your kingdom come here at Echoes of Calvary, Lord, and that your will be done in our body. And we give you all the glory and everybody say amen. amen. Faith means so many things to so many people. We, we hear about everybody. Everybody loves to talk about faith, Right? It's a really popular subject every two years and four years when the election cycle comes because everybody wants to talk about how they're a person of faith and they go back and do whatever they're doing, but they love to talk about faith. To some, uh, I would just want to cover a little bit of territory that we've covered in the past, but just to understand faith, to some, faith is something that you use to get what you want. That's a common misconception that is kind of pretty prevalent in a lot of circles in the church. Um, to others, it is the reason to believe when you're in need. And that's a good thing, to believe that, that God meets our needs. We know that's true. To some, faith is the phrase used to conjure up support from the religious right. Uh, like I just said, every two years and every four years. To others, faith means actually following what Jesus said. To some, faith is the broad stroke that encompasses all religion. We hear people, how many take it for granted when somebody says, well, I'm, I just live by my faith. How many take it for granted they're talking about following Jesus? I do. 
I always think that's what they mean. But there's some people who mean they're following Muhammad, which means they might be strapped with dynamite and you better get back. Because they're keeping the faith. I was thinking about this. We hear that term all the time. Keep the faith. How many hear that term frequently? How many hear that term by people that you don't really know that maybe they're not really keeping the faith? Our, our current president, he liked to use that term. I remember one of the things during the campaign cycle, he kept talking about, I believe it was his granddad or whatever would tell him, Joey, keep the faith. Anybody remember that kind of going around? Talking about keeping the faith when in fact he's pushing for the murder of innocent babies. Talk about keeping the faith and he just put a man who doesn't know if he's a woman in charge of your health. Talk about keeping the faith and he is actively pushing to stifle and stop religious expression and freedom. So faith means a lot of things to a lot of people. That's all my politics for the night. Faith means a lot of things to a lot of people, but it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. And when we talk about living in faith or walking by faith, to you, that might mean something completely different than it does to me. Now, we can look at that in a good light. We can say that maybe what you've gone through, maybe what you're experiencing, maybe the decisions you're having to make are things that I haven't had to experience and it's requiring a different kind of faith or a different exercise in faith. And that might be a really good thing. But then there's also the other side of that where you might think you're keeping the faith and God says that's not the faith at all. I've heard a lot of people think, I've said this so many times through the years, I've heard a lot of people think that they were, they were keeping the word of God when I could clearly see that what they were doing was not keeping the word of God. Faith is difficult for us to understand because it's not something that we can grab a hold of. And if you're going to talk about being a Christian, you have to have faith. Have to. We'll get there as we go through the chapter. It's a requirement. So with all these different ideas about faith, if we're being told to keep the faith, which we are to do, what faith am I to keep? Faith in what? What kind of faith? How do I exercise that faith? Faith is painted with way too broad a stroke. And now it encompasses too many people, frankly. There's too many people who believe they're a part of the faith. There's too many people in America who think they are Christians. Now, I'm not judging individuals to heaven or hell. That's not my point of that statement. But there's far too many people who think faith is about saying a few words at an altar or when you feel convicted because somebody gave a really emotional story. That's what faith means to them. And they feel like they're in the faith because they said a few words. Faith has been too broadly offered. It's been freely given and everybody thinks they're keeping the faith. And to some... Doing wrong but not being a hypocrite is keeping the faith. To others, ultra strict and way beyond the scripture is keeping the faith. Some people are not eating bacon and I'm sorry for them. 
and they're keeping the faith. Some people literally believe that because we have gathered here today on a Sunday, that we are not keeping the faith, and they're the defenders of the faith because they gather on Saturday. Faith is too broad. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith is too broad. I grew up with my, with my, you know, when I was a young man, and dad has talked about this, he grew up in it much more than me, but for the first 10, 12 years of my life, I grew up in a holiness movement that believed that faith had something to do with how you dressed, with what you wore, and it didn't have anything to do with the heart. I've discovered that people who believe faith is that kind of thing, oftentimes there's a lot of corruption in the midst of that. Because I, I went back and I counted of the couple hundred people that were a part of that church. I know of five people in the church that I was growing up with that were molesting their children. But they didn't have TVs. And the women wore dresses. And the men looked the part. In fact, the one guy, when he got to, when he got to jail, he said, take that TV out of my cell. I, I don't, I'm not watching that devil. See, we've got a problem with faith. Faith means too much, and it needs to be simplified because I believe there is, the scripture says, there is one Lord, how many? One faith. There's not multiple faiths. There's not a faith for you and a faith for me and a faith for the Baptists and a faith for the Pentecostals and a a faith for the, the holiness movement and a faith for the liberal contingent. There's not all those faiths. There's one faith once delivered to the saints. And we're to earnestly contend for the one faith. And everything that distracts you from that one faith, whether it is liberal or ultra strict and conservative, if it distracts you from the true faith, then it is a detriment to your life. Listen to me. This is so important. This is so vital. Because we can get, I remember several years ago, I was dealing with a situation and there was a guy that I knew that had taken the TV out of his house. And now listen, I'm all for watching less TV. In fact, maybe you do need to take the TV out of the house. But I recognized something in in the process and that was that there was a holier than thou attitude that was resulting from making this separation. But the problem is there was a lot of mess on the inside. We have to understand what faith is. That's my point. And I think faith is is clearly spelled out for us. I don't think, you know, tonight, I don't think that I can give you an exact and perfect definition. I I don't intend to do that because I think that faith is made up of components, I think there's differences in faith and how that is exercised and how that's carried out in each one of us. And so I want to give, you, give to you over the next few weeks some of the phases of faith, some of the components of faith that I, that I saw in a different light for the first time in Hebrews 11. I don't want to define in one sentence what faith is. But I do think that we can simply say that faith is trusting Jesus completely how many would agree with that i don't know that that's the perfect definition of the term faith 
But I know that we can't be in faith unless we're trusting Jesus completely. And while this would be true, then we would also, if we defined it in that way, we can say faith is simply completely trusting Jesus. While that's true, if we use that as a definition, then we begin to argue about what Jesus would say. So then it becomes ambiguous again. Then it becomes open-ended again. Well, I don't believe Jesus wants us to do that. See, I don't believe that the scripture is relevant today. I know it talked about homosexuality 2,000 years ago, but it's a different time, different culture. It was really about monogamous relationships. That's really what it's all about. That's where the church is going today. So now we can, we can define faith as completely following Jesus, but now we have questions about what following Jesus means. Do we even have to? So this is the problem with, with the definition in, in its sense. We all agree that that's true, but now we would struggle over what that even means. So I would say that I am so thankful for what we have done here, and, and I know you are too. That's why you're here. I'm thankful for the labor that's being put into building our faith. But this place has, has a very specific intention our church we have gathered for a reason and that's not just to build our faith that's to build our faith in jesus christ that's to understand and you say pastor preaches so much about jesus again this morning we're preaching he's preaching about the 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 uh gain and loss and he preaches a message about the revelation of jesus christ why because if you don't know who jesus is you can't have right faith so while we love to build faith, there's a lot of churches that want to talk about building the faith in you. A part of that building is that we establish ever and ever the revelation of who Jesus is. The scripture says that as you see him, you'll be like him. You'll see him as he is. And that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to get in arguments. We're not trying to be better than everybody else. We don't think we've got the foothold on, on religion and that Echoes of Calvary is the only church. No, absolutely, 100% no. But there is a very specific intention here, and that is to make sure that your faith is being built up in Jesus Christ. I love that uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and 8. At the end of that, if you look at it in the literal, it, it, it literally says, imitate our faith, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says, look to those around you, look at, look at what's going on, look at your leadership, understand that they're trying to form Christ, give, give honor there, because their faith is this, it's not Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever in the middle of a sentence that we can just kind of say, hey, Jesus is the same. It's literally describing the faith they have that Jesus is what we're following. Jesus is what we're looking for. Jesus is the eternal one. That's the faith. So we labor again to build this faith. So I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11. And the Lord showed me some different phases in faith seen in this chapter, that I believe that we will all experience probably at some point in our pursuit of God. And I think my intention for you, I wish I could preach all these in a row and do it concisely 
to where you only had to sit here for 30 minutes and it'd be perfect, but it's not going to work that way. So you're going to have to gather every week some stuff. But I believe that when we don't look at faith as, as, a, as a tool, we don't look at faith as something that we, that we use to get what we want. We don't try to define faith simply with a, a definition, but we understand faith to be a component of our life that is necessary to follow Jesus. And then let's look at what those, what those faith phases are. So the first one I want to look at tonight is from verse 1, which we read through, down to 3, down to verse 16. And I want to talk to you tonight about the blindness of faith. This is what I saw something a little different as I read this chapter. I've read through this chapter I don't know how many times. How many have read through Hebrews 11 a lot of times? It's encouraging. When we think we're going through hard, hard times, we read this and go, wow, okay. And I've read this so many times, but I, I saw something kind of grouped and, and it it resonated in my spirit. So tonight I want to talk to you about the blindness of faith. First, let me say this, that I don't believe faith is something that we use. There's a lot of times uh, where we can, we can talk about faith being something that is, that is used by us. And, and I think we see this when we say, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians 5, 7 or 5, 17. I don't remember which one right now, but it, it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And that kind of gives us the idea by is something that we use. And so it's, it's almost like it's an instrument. In fact, the way they translate it is in the instrumental case. We walk by faith, but really the scripture there is we walk in faith. I don't think it's faith is something that we use. When, when faith is something that we use, it's almost like a tool. I've got tool bags. We all wear them when we're working. My dad and Parker and Rodney, we all got brand new ones. We're walking around. And we've got tools in those bags because we don't want to have to walk back to the trailer every time that we need a different tool. So we've got pretty much what we need there to get the job done. And the kind of the idea that a lot of people have is faith is one of those tools in the bag. And that when we need a certain thing, we pull out faith and faith is going to get the job done. The hammer didn't work. The screwdriver didn't work. Uh, the tape measure wasn't sufficient, so we pull out faith, and now faith is going to work on this thing, and I, I think that's completely the wrong idea. I think faith is the bags. I think faith is the thing in which the tools of our character of how we walk out the life of Christ is in that. Faith is where we live from. Faith is where we walk from. Faith is where we believe from. So because we believe, we act in a certain way because of our faith. We're not using our faith to rise up and slay Philistines. Maybe we would have done that in the Old Testament, but we're not doing that. We're not using our faith to, to conquer armies. We're not using our faith to subdue lands or to, to knock down walls. We, on the other hand, are keeping ourselves in the faith and we're moving out of from within that place so that we can find Jesus Christ. We're staying centered in the faith. Everybody say amen. Our text from verse 1 tells us that faith is the ground or confidence of hope. I want to look at that again. You can just walk down through these verses with me. Now faith is the substance and that really means the, the grounding or the confidence of our hope. 
Put that thought into these scriptures. If you just take that, faith is the confidence of our hope. Now put that into the scriptures that we know. Without the confidence to believe what God says, it is impossible to please Him. Right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the confidence of what we're hoping in. Faith is really saying, I believe what God says. That, that kind of can really sum it up. And if we put that into these scriptures about faith, they really stand out and jump out to us. For we walk by the confidence to believe what God says, not by sight. For by grace you are being saved through the confidence to believe what God says. And it is the gift of God, not of yourselves. I think this is a great perspective on faith. Verse 1 continues by telling us that faith is the internal conviction about what we do not see. How do you get internal conviction about what you cannot see? Has anybody ever thought about that? How do you become convicted to the point of living a different life or conducting yourself by, by what God wants when you cannot see it and you cannot feel it and, you, and that people get all caught up in the, in the emotion of, of old Pentecost? But the truth is a lot of those people are just living on emotion. Where does the internal conviction come from? Well, I thought it was pretty, pretty awesome that this is the exact word that is used in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 where it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is good for doctrine and for reproof. You know what that word reproof is? The same exact word here. It's the only two times it's used in the scripture. The evidence of things not seen. The evidence and reproof are the same word. It's the internal conviction. You want to know how you get the internal conviction about how you're supposed to carry your life out? The word of God. I've got a lot of preachers who do not use this anymore. How can you build faith in people's lives when you do not do it with the word of God. We can encourage you. But so can Tony Evans. So can Tony Roberts. So can any other motivational speaker. You get the guy in here and, and man, it's a compelling story. He's got no arms and no legs and he's talking about how, and man, that makes me look and go, wow, okay, my things aren't as bad. But that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to just get you emotionally charged up. We're trying to establish faith. And there is only one way to get internal conviction about how you're going to live your life. It's not from pastor. We're declaring the word of God, but you can't get this conviction from what I'm saying tonight. It's got to resonate inside of you. And you've got to believe the word of God enough to respond to it. And then it becomes the conviction of your life. Nobody can convince you to live for Jesus. It never works. Nobody can convince you about their convictions. You might do them, but you'll do them for the wrong reasons. I love that, that, that this tells us that faith is really allowing God's word to shape us. 
And that word gives us that internal conviction that drives our decision making, not our circumstances. I want to tell you this tonight. If you are making decisions by what you see, Everybody listen to me tonight, right now. We got all kinds of stuff going on around us. This world is is a mess around us. And if you start making decisions by what you see, then you're not making decisions by faith. That's all there is to it. We walk by faith and not, everybody say not, not by sight. So if you're making decisions about things you see, you're making decisions based on circumstances and not based on internal conviction about the Word of God. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to offend all of of the men in this church probably. Okay, you ready? I love guns. I love the Second Amendment. But my decision on whether if they ever come to collect them whether I turn them in, is not based upon my rights as an American. My decision in this case must be made based upon what the internal conviction that I believe God is speaking to my heart. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm a big, I don't want to turn nothing in. That's not my point. My point is this. We do not make decisions based upon how we feel or perceive liberties or what we see. We have to make decisions based upon the internal conviction of our heart, which comes from the Word of God, which is given to us by preaching. A lot of churches don't even have a pastor anymore. A lot of people don't want a pastor. Why? It's impossible to build faith when you're not plugged in to the body. Because that's not how God designed it. God said, how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear except there be what? A Bible? No. Funny there that he doesn't say anything about the Bible, isn't it? Now, we love the Word of God. We love to study But we need to be encouraged because the problem is you pick up the Bible and you'll see everything you want to see. But the preacher gets up and he'll say a bunch of things you don't want to hear. Why? Because God knows. We're warring with our flesh. Everybody understand the battle of faith here? I got to hurry because I'm not even anywhere near. I only got, what are we on, verse 1? Sorry, you've got 15 more to go. So let's walk through these verses and and let's just see what we can learn about faith. I promise I'm not going to take that long on every one of them. Verse 2. I'll just read them with you. For for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Because of their faith, the elders were commended, is is what this scripture says. Again, that internal conviction about how they live their life. Verse 3. For by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of those things which are visible. Through faith we know that evolution is a lie. Because the things that appear 
We're not made by things which can be seen. That's what this verse says. So I, gotta, I just got to make this statement. No Christian believes in evolution. By the word of God. If you believe in evolution, you are not a Christian. You're not of the faith. A lot of, it's become very popular. I, I couldn't believe it. And I don't remember exactly what it was. But the Assemblies of God, huge organization, one we would consider kind of in the middle of the road. Now, there's been a lot of crazy stuff come off of them. Bethel. <laughs> amended their doctrinal statements a few years ago to allow for the idea of old earth. To allow for the idea of some sorts of evolution. But I'm going to make it really clear. The word of God says, what was made was not made with anything that can be seen. Not with the finest microscope. Because it didn't come from plasma and stars that collided and formed some primordial goo. The word of God just said that, not me. So no Christian believes in evolution. We've got we to understand what faith means. Got to stand on some things. Verse 4 begins that what I would call the evidentiary part of this chapter, where the writer now seeks to build the case for what faith looks like in practice in the men and women of the Old Testament. Everybody following what I'm saying? I believe verse 4 now sets out for the next several verses, 39 verse, 36 verses, it sets out to build the case for what it looks like to live in faith. I think it's really important to understand as we're reading this. So for the next 12 verses, we're going to investigate what the writer says concerning the blindness of faith. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Now, that's a powerful verse if you just slow down and look at it, isn't it? We can talk about the sacrifice of Abel. And I'm sure some of you have, but I don't know if you've ever thought about the blindness of Abel. This is the first account of interaction Outside of the garden, I mean, we, we, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing here. There comes a time where Cain and Abel both come to God to present an offering to him. And one of them is rejected, Cain's is rejected, and Abel's is accepted. And why? How did Abel know how to offer a sacrifice that would be accepted? He is literally offering blindly. He has no clue. There's no book. There's no scripture. His only account of what he would know of God would be from his father who just got kicked out of the garden. He has no clue exactly how to approach God. Yet, his offering is accepted. And the difference, you could talk about the fact that, that Cain comes and he brings an offering of grain and that God didn't want an offering of grain. But the truth is that God accepts grain offering through the Old Testament. 
And Abel offers the sacrifice of his flock, which we could see could be a type of, of that lamb sacrifice, but we don't know if it was a lamb or a goat or what it was. Here's the difference between Cain and Abel. Think about it in this way. You got two options. God's coming over to your house for dinner tonight. Everybody just said, uh-oh. And you got two options. You say, well, I don't know what God likes to eat. But this is what I like to eat, and so I'm going to make it, and if God doesn't like it, he can lump it. Or you say, you know what? I don't know what God likes to eat, but I'm going to make a bunch of different things, and I'm going to hope he likes one of them. Right? And that's the difference. It's exactly the difference. Cain comes with this idea of this is what I'm bringing. Here you go, God. I don't know. Okay, that's, that's it. Abel, on the other hand, is giving offering of his flock, offering of the ground. He's giving because he wants to make sure that there's something there that pleases God. God's not really concerned about sacrifice. He's concerned about the heart. But Abel is offering blindly. Faith requires you to blindly sacrifice your whole your best, your all, your dreams, your ambitions. It's what it requires of you. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and, it, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. We know very little about Enoch. You can go back and read in Genesis 5 about, I think it's Genesis 5 about Enoch. And all we know is that uh, he lived and he died. That's all we know. We, we, he lived and he ceased to be. Now there's an argument over whether he died or was translated. All I know is the scripture says to be absent from this body is to be present with God. I don't believe that his body is floating around the heavens because I think he's going to be just like us up there. That's my personal opinion. But all we know about him there's a couple of things. The Old Testament really doesn't tell us much about him. It just says that he was there and he was not there anymore. But what we find in the writer of Hebrews, we find that it says that this was his testimony, that he pleased God. How? How did he please God? There is no law. Everybody's worried about the, the jot and the tittle of the law, trying to figure out what we can get away with. How close to the world can we live? How, how worldly, what, what filthy movie can we actually watch and still make it in? How, how vile in our nature, how perverse in our language can we get and still call ourselves Christians? And Enoch's back there with no law, nobody telling him what to do, nobody telling him how to live, and God is pleased by him. This was the testimony about him. God was pleased by him. Walking blindly. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think this verse clarifies how Enoch pleased God. 
It just said that God was pleased by Enoch, and then the next line says, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. Enoch had to have some internal conviction about living a specific way in order that God would be pleased by it. Something, some conviction in his heart. I believe truly in the heart of man, we know what is right. We know what is right. You don't really have to have somebody come by and tell you, you shouldn't kill your brother. Cain could have said, well, I didn't know. You didn't have a, the the law wasn't given yet. Thou shalt not murder. I mean, you can't hold me accountable for that, God. But of course he knew in his heart this was wrong. I believe that God puts in every man a measure of faith. And that to each of us, our conscience becomes our conviction. And and so I don't care about, people say, well, what about the deepest, darkest parts of Africa? I don't believe that you're going to have to pick up the King James Version Bible in order to be saved. I believe that the conviction of our conscience, and we say, there's something wrong. And if we begin to cry out for the truth, there is only one truth. And I believe that God is big enough to meet people who don't even have a word of God, don't even have the scripture, if they really hunger to do what is right this is the testimony we're seeing here Abel blindly offering Enoch blindly walking for without faith it's impossible to please God verse 7 for by faith Noah being divinely warned I want you to really focus on this verse I'm going to slow down a bit there's something here I hope that you can pick up For by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. How does Noah please God? Pre-law. The world has become so so vile that God says, I'm going to destroy it. So here's what Noah does. He builds an ark. Something nobody's ever heard of. To save people from the rain. Something that no one's ever seen. So that they would not be drowned in a flood. Something that is a completely foreign concept. For a hundred years, Noah built by faith something that makes no sense. He might have been building a whatchamacallit with a doohickey. People coming up, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? What's going to keep you from being drowned? What's being drowned? Well, that's what's going to happen when it rains. What's rain? I mean, these people have no clue. Yet Noah's conviction, he hears from God and he begins to respond. And on top of that, Noah is now having to build this ark with measurements which have never even existed before. The cubit, length from a man's elbow to his fingertips. Well, I'm going to 
Every one of you has got a different one than that. Uh, we don't all have the same cubit. But Noah is to build this by a cubit, and he's going to go out and do something that nobody is even going to understand. Now, this part blew me away. By which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. I got to say something right here. Our faith needs to compel us to condemn the world. God spoke so strongly in this verse to me. Our righteousness, the conduct of our life, should look so different from the world that it condemns the world. Noah's righteousness allowed God to issue judgment and salvation with the same act. The flood. I'm sorry, but the American church, so many churches have become so worried about what the community thinks. So worried about what people sitting around might think that it would never have the guts to build an ark. Do you understand what the ark represents? It's not just salvation. The ark represents judgment for every single person except Noah's family. Jesus said, broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many will find it. But narrow is the way and few find the way to life. If we can't build what Jesus says, no one will be saved. I want you to think about that. For 25 years, we've been laboring to build an ark. You need to build an ark. We need to stop worrying about what the world thinks about what we're doing. We need to stop worrying about what social media thinks about what we're doing. Wouldn't it be awful if we didn't have any social media and the church had to just gather and we didn't have any online services? Well, what would we do? That would be exactly like the early church. That would be devastating. How could we have global impact and ministries? If we were just meeting house to house and keeping in the apostles' doctrine. I mean, well, I don't even know how the church would exist. Being persecuted? Being beat down, being misunderstood constantly. Your family cannot and will not be saved unless you build the ark. And you can't build an ark without condemning the world. I'm sorry. We cannot skirt around this anymore. 
I, I'm not, we love our, we love our families and we, we don't want to offend people. I get all of that. But the truth is, is that that very ark stood in judgment. But because of that ark, there was salvation. There are not going to be many that find life. It's Jesus' words, not mine. We've got to stop trying to shift the ark and make it something else. What are you building here, Noah? I'm just building a giant dormitory. I mean, just come on in. It'll be good. We'll have animals and we can you know, make different kinds of dinner. It'll be awesome. Why are you building it? We've we got to stop trying to make excuses for the, for the word of God. And I believe this. This is what I really felt in my spirit. We've been 25 years trying to establish something. I believe that this church is generational. I believe it's going on to my children and to your children. And that they're going to be here. They're going to build this, this thing as long as God tarries. This is what is happening. And if that's true, we've got to build an ark. Because the only way our children are going to be saved is when we build an ark. When we are willing to stand up and condemn the world. We've got to stand up and say, homosexuality is wrong. It's wrong. Adultery is wrong. Fornication is wrong. Drinking is wrong. It's wrong. It's not what God wants. Yes, people are going to be offended. Yes, it condemns them. But it might save them. Noah had zero converts in a hundred years. Zero. Just his family. And I never thought about that because faith is so blind. I literally heard something. I don't know if it's true. It's probably fully conjecture. But that Noah went, traveled 500 miles to get the trees. And I'd have to look it up and you'd have to try to prove it. But the trees that God told him to build that ark out of weren't even around his area. And he went 500 miles and got the seeds and planted the trees that 50 years later would grow so he could build an ark. I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to tell you that's the blindness of faith. And we're not trying to win the masses here at Echoes of Calvary. And we're not the only church. And I pray that there be revival breakout in churches around here that will start preaching all over this city, all over this area, that will preach the message of conviction. I don't want to be the only one saying it. <laughs> Frankly, I don't like being Noah. Right? Come on, somebody, get on board. Help me build the ark. But I believe this. This world is getting darker. The scripture says that men are going to call what is good evil and what is evil good. And what the, what the world needs ever more now than ever before. Is that we would build what condemns the sin but what offers salvation. I'm not talking about being so hard that we don't welcome and have mercy and show the love of God. I'm not talking about that. But at the same time, we've got to stop being worried about driving people away. I was sitting listening to a pre uh, preacher before we came to church tonight. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm literally going to get up and say the exact opposite of what he just said. He said, we just got to show people why they should want to come to our churches. If that's not, you're a sinner and you're going to go to hell? I don't know. I don't know what we think we're doing. I want salvation. I want salvation for my home. I want salvation for your home. I want that long-lasting, 
True conviction. I want my children's children to be saved. And so I'm going to build an ark. And people aren't going to understand why we live the way we live. They're not going to understand why we conduct ourselves the way we do. They're not going to understand why we sing the way we sing. Or why we yell the way we yell. We're just trying to build an ark. Going to be some blindness involved in faith. We're not going to see all the results. And I'm thankful for what God's done. And I, Brother Aaron's been saying it, and I really do believe it. I don't know that it's going to be huge numbers, but I do believe that people are going to be hungry and they're going to start coming to this place. But only if we're going to preach the truth. Because if we don't preach the truth, they might as well go to the athletic club. At least there they'll get healthy. Here they're probably going to get facts. We got too much good food. <laughs> too much good fellowship. That's the problem with koinonia. We've got to build an ark. I want to look at verses 8 through 10 quickly. I, I am hurrying. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and with Jacob, the heirs with him in the same promise. For he waited for a city whose foundations, uh, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, by faith, wandered blindly without knowing where he was going, looking for a city that he did not even know where it was located. I think about that time when God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees, the height of, of uh, idol worship. The Ur of the Chaldees, there's all kinds of pagan gods and all kinds of thoughts, and somehow God speaks to Abraham. I mean, Abraham doesn't even know who God is. Yahweh? El El Yah? I, I, who is this? But there was internal conviction. And the scripture says in another place, and Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Faith. Little side note. Belief is the verb for the noun faith, just so you know that. It's the action behind the faith, behind the conviction. We got to take our faith into believing the action. I want to look at uh, now at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man... And him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sands which are by the seashore. Sarah pleased God in blind faith when she believed that she could conceive being way past the ability to do so. But she believed that he who had promised was faithful. You're going to have faith. You're going to have to believe God is faithful. That's the blindness. Like I said, I don't know what we're facing. I don't preach often about faith. I mean, sometimes we do, but God wants, to, wants us to hear this. It's because we're going to be facing some things that are going to require some faith. We're going to have to stand blindly sometimes without anywhere to go, without any idea of what's coming, and say, you know what? 
when I've done all to stand, stand, therefore. I believe that's the faith. So I want to close with these last few verses. I want to finish up verses 13 through 16 tonight, and then we'll pick it up next week. These all died in faith. All of these. Not having received the promises. That's a really important thing I want you to pick up. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Isn't that awful? Isn't that awful when you can see something good lying out in the head, but it's not something that you're going to get? But they believed that it was so important for the future of the kingdom and for the salvation of their homes that they acted and, and set a platform for something that they were not going to themselves receive because it was important that their children received it. They put away their own temporal satisfaction, ambitions and desires in order to establish their children and the kingdom of God in the future. Embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. You know what that means? If they, like Lot's wife, looked back at where they had been, God would have let them go back. Abraham at any point could have stopped believing God. Noah at any point could have said, I'm done building arks. Sarah could have said, I don't believe this is true. I, I don't see any changes in my body. God would have let them go back. I'm going to tell you, God will always allow you to walk to your own desires. Always. That's why faith is so important. And we've got to have the internal conviction that says, yes, I have the opportunity to stop doing what God called me to do. But my conviction says, I'm going to stay doing what God's called me to do. I'm going to build the ark for my family. I'm going to believe for the seed of the kingdom. Regardless. And verse 16. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Look at this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The blindness of their faith. This was the greatness of their faith. They had the faith to believe what God said, even though they didn't receive it. This blindness of faith is is what God recognizes and God was pleased to be called 
the God of Abel and the God of Enoch and the God of Noah and the God of Abraham and the God of Sarah. That's what the scripture says. I want him to be pleased to be called the God of Rodney. I want him to look at my life. And I want him to say, you sacrificed to follow me. I want him to be pleased to be called the God of Echoes of Calvary. I, I'm, we're not trying to gain man's favor. We're not, we're not worried about the accolades. I mean, we want to get on the list of the best churches in Anderson. There's about seven of them. Short list. We want to get on that list. No. We don't really care. We're not trying to find men's favor. We want to find the heart of God. I want, to, I want to challenge you. There's going to be some blindness in your faith. There may be some things, and I don't mean to just re-preach everything I just said, but there may be some things to which you don't see the outcome, to which you don't see how it's going to work out. But God is speaking to each of us here right now Establish yourself. Establish yourself. Lord, help our faith. God, help us to blindly follow. God, help us to be willing to walk where we cannot see clearly the path, but because you call us. And Jesus, we want to please you. We want to please you with our lives. We want to please you in our homes. We want to please you in this church. And we honor your name above every name, Lord. And we give you glory. And everybody say, Amen.